Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, and we are supported by ABMP, the Associated Body Work and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps online scheduling and payments with Pocket Suite, and much more. ABMP's CE courses, podcast, and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, like from both of us, Till and myself, Whitney. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on their membership joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. Till is off again this week, but I'm delighted to have my friend Nicole Miller with me here today. So I'd like to welcome you, Nicole, to the Thinking Practitioner podcast. Great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Good. Nicole, for our listeners, can you tell them a little bit about your background? You've been doing extensive work with the veteran population for many years, and that's, I believe, how you and I first got connected um, through a number of different things. But uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing currently and also a little bit about the background and how you got into this. Thank you. Well, I've been a clinical massage therapist now, really since I started at um, right out of school in 2004. Immediately, I started to work at Krause Health, which is a hospital here in Syracuse. And a few years later, we kind of were aware that massage therapists need more continuing education. So I started not only working with the patients there in community engagement, but also started a continuing education program there too. And over the years, both of those segments kind of have morphed. And uh, to keep the long story short, uh, in 2013, we launched the Veterans Massage Education Program. And we did that because my boss at Krause at the time asked me to visit Clear Path for Veterans, which is a local VSO. Uh, for those who don't know, a VSO stands for Veterans Service Organization, and they're usually distinct or separate from the VA. But here in Syracuse, ClearPath is just an amazing program, um, and it really helps support veterans outside of the VA in all aspects of life. So I ventured to meet with the staff there, and what I had learned was they really wanted a massage program and one that was more sustainable. Often they found that Massage therapists would join their efforts and start to offer volunteer massage, but would quickly fall off the radar because they weren't prepared for the experience of working mm -hmm. with veterans. Yeah. And they felt intimidated, overwhelmed. Um, to put this in perspective, ClearPath's flagship program is their Dogs to Veterans program. So they assign service um, dogs to veterans with typically severe uh, PTSD. So that's the typical veteran who goes across or through the uh, threshold at ClearPath. And then these massage therapists were coming on board to volunteer. And lo and behold, they just really weren't ready for that level of work. So um, we worked all together. We crafted a program um, where we developed a CE program that would allow us to have a clinic actually on site there at ClearPath. So for five years, we ran a pro bono clinic at ClearPath. And this was all occurring simultaneously at the same time that the VA was developing their whole health program. So this is an amazing national program under the leadership of Dr. Tracy Gaudet, originally from Duke University. 
she became the uh, leader for patient transformation at the VA and championed this program called Whole Health, where we really look at the whole person. And initially, this is, I'm hoping by sharing all this information, I can kind of help frame people's perspective of what sure. happened yeah. at the VA. But initially, they developed the program and they identified two types of VAs. And the first one was the flagship VA. I think there was 13 flagship sites in the nation. And their job was to launch um, the components of whole health. Of interest to us was massage therapy, chiropractic care, acupuncture care. So the flagship's um, job was to... uh, assign veterans to those programs to see how they do. And as we learned by the VA report in 2019, it worked great. The whole health model was in fact a better model for the veteran patient. It established less pain, less stress, opioid reduction, um, chemical reduction. So all of these things were established with that model. And that was exciting news for everybody across the board and especially for our field, uh, massage therapy. Then they also developed another program where they used um, a select number of design sites. And I think there's 12 in the nation. And the design sites, their job was to measure the efficacy between the various modalities. So think back to flagship sites. One patient can go in and all of a sudden be assigned chiropractic care, acupuncture, and massage all at once, right? And we established that that whole health program worked. Now the question was, which of the modalities work well for certain circumstances? And that's the point of the flagship program was to determine um, which were were, uh, best for PTSD or, or for pain management. So Syracuse, where I'm from, their um, VA was selected as a flagship site, or excuse me, a design site. So uh, when we look at the Syracuse VA where I'm from, Syracuse VA was selected as one of the 12 design sites, which was really exciting for us. And their job was to launch phases of the whole health program. So they started off with chiropractor care and then acupuncture care. And the third like in that process was massage therapy. So when we were developing our program, we included the Syracuse VA to participate. They actually came in and helped to co-instruct with some of our classes. They came to ClearPath and helped to participate in the pro bono clinic. And both programs grew simultaneously and were able to collaborate and help each other, which was really exciting. I think it was 2017, they launched the massage therapy component and their community care program, which dispatches patients to community care providers for services, um, were kind of at a loss. Like, how do I dispatch 200 veterans to massage therapists in, in Syracuse? So when we were aware that they had that challenge, we gave them a list of all of our prior students and they did an initial launch of 200 and then an initial launch of 400. So they kept launching batches of veterans to massage therapists in our community. And that was an exciting time for all of us. Yeah. And then Syracuse kind of got the attention of nationals to wonder, how did you manage this Syracuse? You've launched more therapists than others. It simply was because there was a group of massage therapists ready, willing, and able 
to work with the veteran patients. So since then, I think now Syracuse might be up to 9,000 um, veterans wow. that have been established or uh, launched to massage therapy in the community, which again is really exciting. Our statistics are really high compared to other visions. <laughs> A vision is a geographical area mm-hmm. um, within the VA system. So we're a vision too, I think, but mm-hmm. we had one of the highest launches. So we suspended our clinic program in 2018 only because, gladfully, the VA had had now thousands of veterans that they were um, supporting and could support. So it just made more sense for us to work with them. We didn't necessarily need the pro bono clinic anymore. Mm-hmm. So, and then since then, we've continued to work with the VA. For instance, when I travel um, for veterans massage education, I'll often include local VA staff to come in and help teach some of the p- components of the program there. Yeah. And 2019, I was asked by the VA to help them start their med center program. So community care is the program which runs or manages care within the community, which um, services that the VA doesn't include. For instance, obviously, the VA does not deliver babies. They're not an obstetric organization. So they'll always look towards providers in the community. Um, massage therapists up until 2019 were all done through community care um, in our area. And then in 2019, they established the Med Center program. So they had asked me if I would help join their effort. And excitingly, I became their first massage therapist in the program and had spent the better part of two years just helping that program get up and going. And um, since then, I've taken a step back because to do that kind of work, it takes hyper-focus. You really don't have time to educate um, when you're doing that level of clinical care. So Mm -hmm. um, we're off to a good start. And they've got, I think now, 14 therapists working there um, within Syracuse and their satellite sites. So Wow. That is astonishing and incredible. And I just have to say congratulations. And I've said this to you before. I just think what you've accomplished there has been just so astounding and so inspirational for for people. It's a wonderful model uh, across across the board for folks. I want to backtrack to a couple of things that you had said uh, earlier. Uh, When you were talking about... how the program was initially getting started and there were massage therapists getting involved and you said they weren't really ready for that level of work. Can you tell me a little bit, talk a little bit about what is it that they encountered that they weren't really ready for? I'm assuming this is not something about stuff covered in their entry-level education, but maybe something unique to veterans. What what was the, the biggest challenges there? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is when you look at the biopsychosocial model of care, a lot of education programs prepare massage therapists fairly well for the biological aspect of care, especially with programs such as yourself, which really takes it to that next level, right? Helping to um, helping massage therapists develop knowledge, skills, and abilities in terms of orthopedic and, and uh, other similar allied types of care. <clears throat> I think it was the emotional and the social aspect that they really were challenged with. You have to be prepared when you work with this population. I'm very upfront with the fact that we will, especially if you work in a clinical setting, you will encounter crisis management. Mm -hmm. So um, I think in my line of work, I'd have to go back and really think about it. But at this point, I've intercepted four 
uh, suicide ideations or people who had active plans for suicide. Wow. And it uh-huh. seems strange to say that when you're a massage therapist, but as we know with massage therapy, we really have an intimate relationship with our patients and our clients, and they will share more with us sometimes than they will with their own family or with their own primary care physician. Mm-hmm. So when you work with this population, you really need to be prepared. If you're going to accept community care referrals from the VA, most likely uh, they're going to be dealing with uh, PTSD, musculoskeletal pain, and then some will be dealing with obesity and cardiovascular conditions. Those are the top primary conditions for reasons for referrals. And so almost all of those will have some element of PTSD involved. And so as a practitioner, you have to be prepared for those episodes Some of our students in our program talked about how um, some of the veterans would trigger, you know, have a triggering episode during Mm -hmm. session and actually hunker down underneath the massage table or evacuate the massage room. So, so that's the one area that I really want to caution people about that you need to develop your knowledge, skills, and abilities, because literally you could save a life. One of the classic examples that I give is in 2019, I was teaching a warrior hands program, which is a really amazing program. It takes place at ClearPath. And we all volunteer and we provide a a full immersion training program. And most of the massage therapists in that program are also veterans. So it's highly intensive. But while we were teaching this program on day two at 9 a.m. in the morning, I look over and the student next to me is clearly startled. And I asked her, you know, is everything okay? And her hands are shaking as she's trying to hold her phone. And I look at the phone and I immediately realized it's a suicide text. Mm-hmm. And so we went right into protocol. One of my um, students, Sharon Wong, who's been trained by the program, did an immediate assist with the folks at ClearPath. We were able to get the authorities dispatched to the person. And luckily we had heard within an hour that the person was safe. They were able to make a positive interception in time. Mm-hmm. And what we kind of surmised later was that the student had articulated she was going to this program and kind of identifying it. And this friend of hers kind of saw it as one last chance to reach out. So he did, but just, this is just an example here. I'm teaching continuing education and we go right into this protocol. I never would have expected any of this um, in 2004, but Mm now I'm here. So, Mm -hmm. and I hope that um, to be able to use my hindsight to help give foresight to therapists to kind of give them a heads up so that they're not caught in these situations and not prepared. Yeah. This sounds so critically important for appropriate care. And of course, the question that I think lots of people are going to be asking now is where do you go to get this training? Because it's, it's, this is not just the kind of thing where you, you know, read a book or, you know, study some content or something like that. This is a lot of experiential psychological awareness stuff. That's, that's not, I mean, I know personally that's not easily taught. You know, I had a background in counseling and and I know a lot of this stuff doesn't come easy. So how do people learn this? Yeah. The first thing I would suggest is 
to contact or look up your state chapters for NAMI, N-A-M-I, um, which is basically Mental Health Alliance. There's a, it's an international organization and each chapter, each state has its own chapter. And they will often offer trainings in various uh, cities throughout the U.S. on how to be that caregiver for someone who has mental health crises. Mm -hmm. So for instance, in our area, Syracuse, they will offer um, programs for um, suicide preparedness. And also you can look at other places. For instance, in Syracuse, we have an organization called Contact, which is our local crisis management provider. Mm -hmm. They offer regular free programs for uh, all types of health professionals um, and what you can do to, to support someone during an episode when they come to you, what kind of questions you should be asking that person, and then what is your protocol? And that's really what I think is difficult for massage therapists is they have a hard time with those questions. How do you mm -hmm. say to somebody, yeah. you know, you made a statement earlier that I find concerning, and now I really want to have a deep conversation with you. Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking about suicide? You know, it sounds strange to have to ask those questions, but sometimes you do. Yeah. Uh, and in 2020 and 2021, I had a patient uh, each of those years that came to me at the med center at the VA who was either in a state of ideation or a state of plan. And if I had done what I had been taught in massage school, where I just go right in, you got to get you on the table, get you through the session, get you done, get you out the door, I would have missed out. Um, but they had made a concerning statement and I went right into protocol, started asking the questions and ended up saying to them, we're not going to have the massage today. You need a different level of care, a different type of care. Mm -hmm. And I physically walked them or wheelchaired them right into their primary care uh, provider right there at the VA. So mm -hmm. it's also knowing what to do for a protocol. There are national numbers available. Everyone's pretty much heard of the crisis hotline. You should have that number ready and memorized mm -hmm. um, so that you can call it if need be, because you never know. And every moment can, can, um, can, uh, be a critical moment in, in episodes such as this. So I would say first start with those local crisis mental health organizations, see if there's some trainings just to, to start with. Um, the good news about our program is we are resurrecting our uh, travel training again. Mm -hmm. And so I'm gonna be in Illinois, AMTA in March, I'll be in New York in April, and I'm in the process of connecting with some other folks to do some trainings across the US. We're also finalizing um, a hybrid format where some of our training will be available online mm -hmm. because as we learned, um, there's such a demand for this program and I, I just can't meet that demand. So, of course, yeah. Um, so at this point, you know, we're going to uh, start to offer a hybrid program where people can get some of the material online and then visit for some online or some in-person training in, in, uh, in areas near them. Yeah. I'm also hoping to get a couple people trained so they can offer it as well so that we can make it more accessible. Yeah. And I was thinking too, I mean, you've got such an incredible support network there in Syracuse with lots of people doing this, mm -hmm. but also I'm thinking now too about the, the individual practitioner that is in maybe a smaller community somewhere or something that just does not have that network of support. Uh, yeah. And maybe not even access to some of these capabilities for you know, traveling to training programs. It certainly would be 
uh, advantageous. This is, of course, it's one of the very big ad advantages of online training is being able to be accessible to anyone anywhere. Because I just, I think of all the people who could really benefit from from doing this kind of type of training and just some awareness about this. And I'm I'm thinking here too, not only of veterans, of just all kinds of trauma uh, instances where people could benefit from some of these concepts, ideas, or you know, training to some degree. Um, one thing I want to ask here, because I know this is another place that we get into challenging understandings of of scope of practice. Do you have uh, problems or, or challenges with people understanding the boundaries of what their skill set is when they when they talk about this whole biopsychosocial aspect and how much to do to do something as an intervention versus sometimes just being there for people or like knowing what those boundaries are does that does that come up as a challenge or an issue for you it is a challenge or an issue for sure because you have to make sure that veterans or the patient population that you're working with understands what your capacity is our capacity to care is endless right we're comparing and compassionate people so that is without any boundaries, but um, our capacity to treat is certainly um, has uh, has boundaries and, and definitions. So you have to be ready to refer. You have to be ready to say, um, this is, we're at a point right now in our therapeutic relationship where I'm recognizing you need a different type of care. You need to maybe suspend massage or do something a little, you know, take a little time to go into, uh, consider some other type of uh, care, such as maybe talk therapy or what have you. So you really have to be ready for that. And, and I think again, you know, when we reflect back on the prior experiences, um, with our clinic and early on with ClearPath, a lot of massage therapists feel so responsible for their patients and their clients. They have a hard time letting go. And it's really critical when you work with patient populations that you have to know when to step aside yeah. and when to say, now's not the time for massage, or um, we need to bring this person on board to help us, both of us with what's happening in your care right now. And, uh, and that's, that's a hard thing for, for massage therapists, because, you know, a lot of schools are really challenged with how much content they have to teach in a short period of time. Yeah. And so there's just not enough time in base massage education to address some of these things. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying earlier, it affects other populations. Uh, I also work at still at Krauss Health. So I offer clinical massage at the high risk obstetric patients up on um, 7th and 8th at Krauss. And so I deal a lot with women who are dealing with perinatal anxiety and depression. I've also, as part of that role, would attend support groups for patients as an outpatient support group offering massage therapy. Well, lo and behold, one of the patients there came to a session one day and she um clearly exhibited some concerning behaviors and statements. And as we later learned, she was in a state of psychosis. Mm. And I had to, again, do an interception um, at that point. So um, it certainly applies to other populations. And it is important that you realize um, that you have a capacity and not be afraid to reach out to others for care. Yeah. And the other thing I can really suggest to people you know, when I first started, I took Elaine Stillerman's class back in 2004 um, for pregnancy massage. And because I have um, 
uh, a bachelor's and a master's in organization and management. I went into that hyper business mode and I created a whole manual of massage for myself, right? Mm -hmm. With protocols and so forth. And I thought at the time, all oh, this might be a little corny, a little bit too much for this. And now I realize, no, it's not. Um, mm -hmm. Massage therapists, if you're going to work with clinical populations, you should have a manual or um, you know some protocols in place with your support services for each one of those populations. So if you're going to work with veterans, you should get a list of VSOs in your area. Mm -hmm. You should know the crisis hotline. You should know the community care folks. You should have all those places. You should go visit your local vet center and do outreach with them. And so that you can learn more and learn about who to connect with. So when these things happen, you have an immediate um, direct line to, to support. Yeah. Excellent. And um, I, I will ask, do you happen to have like templates or suggestions for people of like what should be in these kinds of packets? You have any of those kinds of resources that are available to people? Yeah. And actually I'm um, just finishing up. I was going to um, make a, a, a place and I, I don't want to speak too prematurely here. Mm -hmm. I don't have it launched live yet, but um, on my educational page, I'm making a list of things for people to include a resource place for for massage therapists with yeah. whatever population you're working with. But first start, start with your locals. Literally go right into your um, yellow pages, right? Mm -hmm. We're kind of aging ourselves here, but um, take a look around and, and, and don't be afraid to go visit places. That's the other thing that I think we are kind of weak in. Um, make it a point to go visit the vet center and say, Hey, I'd like to come and see what you offer. Can I get a tour, mm -hmm. you know, take a look at some of those places and really immerse yourself into that culture because that immersion is going to help support you in the long run. Yeah. Right. I want to go all the way back to your intro for just a second. Cause it was another question that I wanted to ask um, in relation to what you were talking about in terms of the evolution of this program. You mentioned at a certain point that you had several different, um, sort of a, approaches that you were working with, chiropractic, massage therapy, acupuncture, I think you mentioned yes. also, and then said that you had kind of divided these up and were sort of looking at outcomes from these different approaches. Did you all happen to like document this or or in a way that you know could be valuable to look at, like for us to better understand, for example, what are the mechanisms of benefit from massage if it is extricated from these other things? Was that anything where they recorded that stuff formally? Yeah, good question. And just so the listeners understand, so what Whitney is talking about is at this time I was working at the VA and working in the Med Center program. And again, Syracuse is a design site. So one of their jobs is to measure the differences and outcomes between the various modalities. And they're doing this one because they want to make sure that care is efficient for the patient. And this is really important because a lot of massage therapists think, you know, veterans, every veteran should have massage and, and, and uh, have it often. The reality of that, it, it's just not there. And for many reasons, not only for cost, but two, because 
these some of these veterans, especially Vietnam veterans, will have multiple appointments at the VA throughout the week. They might have eight in a day, believe it or not. Wow. And wow. because they might be coming for their PT, they might get their chiro, their massage, their mental health, their pharmacy check-in, their, you know, so they're having multiple appointments in a day or throughout the week. And they're coming back and forth. And it's not easy, obviously, in most major cities to go and park and then go to your appointments. So so they really try to make their services as efficient as possible. Um, not only again for financial purposes, but for purposes of the patients. So so they're really trying to understand out of these integrative healthcare modalities, which is best for musculoskeletal pain or which is best for PTSD so they can then create the right recipe if that if that kind of yeah. makes sense so um and um I know that with the Syracuse VA they were measuring those outcomes and they were measuring the outcomes between the community care as well as the med center too what we established across the board is massage certainly helps with pain reduction, stress reduction, um, opioid reduction, and cost, um, a lesser cost of um, uh, pharmaceutical cost across the board compared to folks who didn't use the integrative health modalities or, or uh, services. So all great things. I am eagerly waiting for the final report of what they find out specific to the uh, to the specific uh, services. So mm -hmm. um, they have not yet established or put in writing um, this the information specific to massage therapy versus right. movement and so forth. So yeah, yeah, they just came out. I think it was 2019. They came out with the first big report from the design sites, which established again across overall the model itself is helpful and now we're all waiting for the next one yeah were there was there anything that sort of stuck out in your your attention as you looked at that for um you know the real places where massage sort of shined brightly as as beneficial for for addressing things compared to some of these other approaches yeah and i can speak a lot to case experiences mm -hmm. um over you know, to, to give you an example, when I first started there at the VA, I had uh, a pretty diverse patient load. And then all of a sudden, after helping a couple of folks who live with MST, um, MST stands for military sexual trauma. Um, all of a sudden, I had a lot of referrals from that unit, that uh -huh. the unit that over that oversees that healthcare. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden, I saw this you know, increase in volume in those patients. And then the same for, I saw a huge increase in uh, uh, referrals from the spinal cord injury unit. So yeah. uh, there's different units within the VA. So I started off with some, worked with our, their patients, and then all of a sudden there was just this influx of people on my schedule from, from that unit. So, so to me, that tells me those areas, uh, massage is definitely um, effective. And when I speak about those areas, a couple of things that I'll challenge people to think about is what type of work do you provide and how creative are you as a, as a provider? Because that's important. A lot of people think, oh, veterans, they're rough and tough, big people, right? They've been through a lot. They're physical, they're burly, whatever, however you want to describe them, um, you know, 
on a when you think of the Walton pressure scale, right? Uh, you don't always need to use a five out of five for mm-hmm. veterans. In fact, I found it to be just the opposite for many of them because a lot of them had exposures. Exposures are exposures to things such as um, chemical exposures, radiation, wind, weather elements, what have you. So, people who have been um, challenged by uh, exposures don't always do well with firm pressure because yeah. the skin, um, you know, it, it tolerates pressure much differently than someone who hasn't. So you have to be really creative as a provider. And one of the things that I had learned, and I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, but no, this again, is wonderful. I hope, yeah, I hope my foresight, yeah. uh, my hindsight's your foresight, but. One of the things that I learned is, and and I learned this actually from you, Whitney, not to sound strange, but I've taken your classes here when you visited AMTA New York and, and uh, have read your books. And I was always impressed with your um, philosophy that some really good planning up front and some good consultation makes for a great um, session and therapeutic plan going forward. And I cannot stress enough how valuable that thought is when you're working with patient populations such as the veterans. So when they come to me at the uh, Syracuse VA, my first appointment with them, I might have had 10 minutes of hands-on with them, maybe 20 Mm -hmm. at the most. But the majority of my time with them is really talking Mm -hmm. and consulting with them. I would always spend time before they come in to review their histories and then spend time engaging with them. And then the palpation time that I did was just really um, testing and assessment palpation. So I never started right off with treatment. Um, I would then spend a lot of time talking to them about, you know, what massage could possibly do for them. What does it look like? What are the risks? What are the potential benefits? And then let them decide if they wanted to proceed um, going forward. And then from there, I would start off slow. I never would start off with a five out of five on that pressure scale. Mm-hmm. It's a really a two out of five or a three out of five to begin with. And then we modulate from there, depending on their experiences. Yeah. And lo and behold, many of these big burly folks um, actually did fairly well with a medium pressure versus um, a, a firm pressure or, um, you know, deep pressure, I think is as some yeah. therapists call it. Well, you know, that's, uh, um, of course, you know, I've been singing that song for a couple of decades you know, about how valuable and essential I think the assessment process is as part of treatment even in yeah. that exactly what you're saying here is that when you begin touching somebody with this idea of finding, you know, what might be restrictions in movement or what might be areas of sensitivity or hypersensitivity, mm-hmm. that very touch in the evaluation process is a huge amount of important information that you're going to get about how they may respond overall to some of the other things that you might be doing. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that's a, a critical aspect of, of what's happening here. And and one of the great benefits of us spending a lot more time with people, like you said, you might spend a whole lot of time in that initial session without doing a whole great deal of, of massage in that first session, because some of this other stuff is so very important. And the other thing I would stress and emphasize is in that time frame. 
when you're going through the evaluation process with these people and, you know, gen, you know, you have a genuine caring attitude and you're expressing interest in their individual process, you are developing the therapeutic alliance and yeah. that rapport with them. So critically, that's going to be an essential part of what's going to ha happen with them. I just, I think that's the importance and value to that is to not to be underestimated for sure. Absolutely. That's, that's such a critical aspect. And like we were saying earlier, we have a very deep relationships uh, with our, with our patients and our clients. So um, we need to be mindful of that. You know, an example I can think of is I had a, a patient one time who was red flagged in, in the VA red flag means there's a crisis involved with that person. So there's a protocol of care for them. If ever they have an episode while with you, but this patient had lived with severe pain and I can understand why he had the plan that he did after trying for years, um, different types of other services with the VA, we just found out massage was great for him. It reduced his pain where he, when he first started coming in for massage, he had maybe one day of function a week, if he was lucky. Um, after starting after about six weeks, he morphed to two days of function. And then after about two, maybe three months, he, he leveled out to about three to four days consistently every single week of being highly functional, being able to actually do things physically as well as emotionally. So we were all thrilled with this um, experience that he had. And we went on for about a year like this. Everyone realized he just had to have massage regularly for maintenance to continue to achieve this. Well, one day he came in and I'd been listening to him for the weeks leading up to this appointment where stress at home was increasing. And then when I was asking him the amount of functional days he had, his pain levels, his stress levels, doing all those assessment and screening things that we do, I realized this trend where his pain was increasing and correlating directly with the stress at home and the reduction in function was also um, increasing in correlation to that. So at one point, you know, I said to him, we need to, we need to bring on some, someone else in this alliance with us. Right. So, cause massage isn't going to, isn't going to help you um, much longer. And you obviously have another priority. So it just speaks to what we were saying earlier that you have to be ready to refer tag team. Um, I, I can say over and over again, or stress the importance of team-based care. Team-based care, TBC as we call it in, in a clinical setting is, you know, years ago um, with more traditional formats of, of uh, clinical massage or clinical care, people were fairly isolated. Most of the directive came top down from the primary care provider, but now places like the VA are fully engaged in a team-based care um, format where everyone's communicating with each other. And if you work with veterans, you need to be ready to be a part of that team-based care and be aware of what the other providers do and what they offer. And then you're ready to shuffle when necessary. Yeah. And so with that patient, you know, I could have just continued with my status quo, continue to offer the recipe of massage that we knew worked so well. But at that point, I realized we have to do a reassessment here. And mm -hmm. in this reassessment, we need to redirect you to, to another type of care. Yeah. When you see some of these people for longer periods of time, you know, multiple sessions, do you see any kind of cumulative effects 
of the work that you're doing, for example, like they get longer periods of relief after, you know, a greater number of sessions or something like that. Do you see, or is this just something where it's, it's a constant intervention that needs to be there that they just, they just need to have this on a regular basis. I'm, I guess that's kind of a generalized yeah. thing for a lot of individuals that might be, you know, varying from person to person, but do you see any trends um, uh, about that? Yes, I did in our clinic in Syracuse for sure. My goal is I love the idea of graduating folks from massage therapy. Um, I don't think it's actually a very good idea that we maintain people too long. And mind you, I'm coming from the reference of clinical care, which is different than massage for wellness, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's completely separate. So when it comes to clinical care, I love it if we can ultimately graduate people from massage and they don't have to come into us and they can live more independently. I don't want them to become addicted to massage. Um, And so what we found in our program, we were, uh, we had started a component where we would assign people to Tai Chi or to yoga or to uh, to movement modalities. And the idea was they'd start with massage. And then when we got them to a certain level of feeling good, and then they were encouraged to actually move and exercise because now they had the capacity and the motivation to do it. We would then transition them to where they'd have both massage and movement for a couple of weeks and then launch them into the movement um, episode. So mm-hmm. that was really exciting. And case-wise, we were seeing some good examples. The unfortunate thing is COVID came along. And yeah. um, so that put a kind of a big damper into that whole um, um uh, progression that we were seeing, but reflecting back on the cases, I did see where some people were doing well and uh, doing well. With, I, there's some research now that's starting to hint that exercise and movement can offer some of the same effects as massage therapy for mm-hmm. some for some patient populations or some experiences. And when possible, I try to encourage people to also con- include that in their choices. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of wonderful things that you've been doing here. And also I, I want to, you know, commend you for your outreach efforts and trying to teach so many people um, across the country this stuff, because I just think it's so critically needed and so, so necessary. What have we missed here in our discussions? Are there any other <laughs> key things that you think people really ought to know Um about working with this particular population. We've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the training necessities and things like that, but what, what have we missed? Yeah, I think what we missed was I don't, when I talk about these heavy duty topics, I don't mean to, to scare people, right. Or Mm -hmm. frighten them. I I do want them to use it as an opportunity to prepare themselves. So I, I don't want to intimidate massage therapists from working with veterans, veterans by and large, are healthy, strong people, and they just need a particular type of care from therapists who have particular knowledge, skills, and abilities. And so I don't want to intimidate you from from exploring this. It's an amazing, amazing um, opportunity to connect with a specific patient population. Um, the one thing I will encourage you to do is to start with immersion, immerse yourself into the culture. Like I said, visit with some local VSOs mm-hmm. or do some volunteerism 
and then also connect with some of the main service providers in your area, like the vet centers or your local VA, and start to give yourself some support um, in, in that realm. And I think from there, you're going to start to develop some confidence and have some more preparedness as you continue forward. Also, uh, explore other education programs. Um, you know, our program, there is so much information that is afforded over the course of our 80-hour curriculum. However, um, it's not the everything. So mm -hmm. I encourage people, please look at some of the other um, providers out there, such as yourself. You, I use a lot of the skills that I've learned from you in my um, clinical work with veterans and and uh, um, some of the other patient populations that I work with. So, so also look towards other education programs that are available. Look at things like ABMP. ABMP has so many wonderful online classes and, and uh, articles available that can that can support every practitioner, no matter what patient population you work with, so long as you want to work in a clinical setting or as a clinical therapist. So, mm -hmm. so make sure you grasp and grab those as much as you can, um, each and every one that, that comes your way. Yeah. And Again, you know, I don't know that much about the whole VA system, but, you know, know mm -hmm. that there's, you know, a lot more likelihood that you're going to find these centers and the, also the VOS centers that you talked about in larger metropolitan areas. And mm -hmm. so my, you know, encouragement and hope is that you all, you especially will continue working down the road on some of these uh, resources for online training. Like, for example, I live in a very small town and we don't have any uh, you know, significant centers that I know of, uh, and I may just be ignorant of that, but within, you know, probably three hours of us, uh, yeah. and that's across a mountain range to get there. So um, for those people who might be in places where there's not as much of a, a support network for some of those centers around them, um, I, I do hope that you all will continue working on the establishment and development of, of good training programs or, where people can learn a lot of this kind of stuff, in, 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 uh, especially in the online environment where they might not have access to some of the other training and resources there. You know, you just uh, spurred a thought in me. Do you mind if I just share one more? Of course. Yes. Um, listening to you, I can better understand uh, what you're describing. The VA has an amazing website with a lot of literature and information, but one of the things that they offer, which I found really helpful, is an online program called Make the Connection. So if you just Google Make the Connection in VA, it's a whole video pod series where they profile and interview various veterans of all eras, gender, gender identities, and experiences and conditions. So you can find a video if you wanted to for a Vietnam uh, veteran who lives with PTSD, or you can find a video with yeah. a female veteran from the Gulf War who lives with MST. So you can find that. So I would really encourage a therapist to go right online and start to watch some of these videos because nice. we actually did that in our class. I would show at the beginning of our class a video and ask students to write down what do you see here? And then we'd go through our class and then I have them watch the same video. And it was amazing how much they learn and can pick up more by watching that video the second time. Yeah. And that is a great example of 
helping you to be immersed into uh, veteran culture, Mm -hmm. as well as the clinical culture. So you're going to learn a lot about conditions and um, uh, the challenges that they live with, as well as about the person, because you're going to hear it from the voice of the of the veterans. So, Mm -hmm. so again, that's make the connection and uh, through the VA, I think that would be a helpful tool. Great, great. Thank you, Nicole, so much for this. Well, this has been a, a fascinating exploration of of working with this unique specialized population. And I, uh, again, want to both commend you and thank you for your um, unflagging efforts in that in that effort to, to do that, to reach out to this group and, and also to help teach and share with all you've learned and all you've developed with everyone else. So how can people connect with you or connect with other uh, educational resources on this? What's the yeah. best place for people to to connect there? For sure. So I'll give people uh, an email and um, directly, because like I said, we're just about to launch that um, web platform. Um, but in the meantime, if they want to, they can reach out to me. It's Nicole Miller. 4750 at gmail.com. And by doing so, I'll include you on in the list. And then we'll, once we get our platform, um, it's, we're being, it's drafted right now, but once it's officially published, we'll make sure to send you an email to notify you of that. Um, we're developing a program called Connected Roots. And the idea behind this is that we help all therapists uh, connect with uh, other educators, with themselves, with patients, and with medical providers. So we kind of see ourselves as the alliance in between all of those respective populations or groups uh, that are involved with clinical care. So um, we have the specific um, uh, page dedicated to resources and support for for uh, massage therapists. And we'll also include in that trainings as well, upcoming training locations. That's great. And we'll try to include all those things in the show notes for this episode as well. So people can have that and, and go consult and and, uh, and look at that stuff there. So, well, Nicole, thank you again so much for thank joining you. us today on our discussion. It's been wonderful uh, talking about this. Do keep in mind the Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by Handspring Publishing and their catalog has emerged as one of the leading collections of professional level books written, especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. Handspring has recently joined with Jessica Kingsley Publishers' Integrative Health Singing Dragon imprint. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check out their list of titles. And be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. And we thank you again, Handspring. And also we'd like to say thank you to all of our sponsors, to all of the listeners, uh, people who've joined us on the show here. And if you can stop by our site for show notes, transcripts, and extras, you can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and also over on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. And he will be back with us next go round for another interesting discussion here. If you have questions or things you'd like to hear us talk about, please do feel free to email us with at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. You can uh, give us ideas for episodes or critique things or send us uh, your opinions. We'd love to hear from you all the time. You can also look for us under so, uh, on social media under our names, Luca, and also under my Whitney Lowe on social channels. So thank you again so much. We appreciate your being here. If you got a chance, please stop over, rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts, or listen to us on various different uh, social or podcast platforms, Google, Stitcher, whatever is your podcast uh, preview of choice or a podcast uh, platform of choice. And we thank you very again. Uh, thank you again very much for hanging out with us. 